If you're trying to figure out how to navigate the tricky tightrope of parenting while you have questions, doubts, and wonderings about your spiritual journey, our podcast is for you. It doesn't matter if your kids are smalls, middles, or bigs. We'll explore what and how we're deconstructing from churchianity, harmful belief systems, and diving deep into the ways we can work this out in parenthood. We're also going to work through ideas for reconstructing a space for our families to thrive under new systems of love and freedom. We can't wait to bring you some hope that you're not alone and that it's really okay, even good, to explore all the possibilities that may have felt closed off in the past. Our podcast is going to offer you grace and space to be exactly where you are and who you are. We're really glad you're here and we're excited for today's episode. Listen in. When the dust clears and in the quiet of your own heart, what kind of God do you believe in, really, and why? Pete ends. Welcome back to the Deconstructing Mamas podcast. We have Pete Enns with us today. Yay! So, Pete, thanks for coming on. We are so thrilled to have you. Thanks, Esther. Yeah, and Liz. Hi, Liz. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Dad. What's up? Well, Liz, you didn't actually thank me. Only Esther thanked me. I just assumed you weren't thankful. Well, I thanked your uh, your assistant when you sent me to her to schedule you for the podcast. Did you want this to happen? Then that's gonna ha- it's going to happen that way. I'm going to have to schedule dinners from now on, too, with mom. Just, just talk to Ashley, too. Just, yeah. A little father-daughter banter. So yeah, there we go. now we know that this is Liz's dad, Pete Enns. And Pete, so <laughs> other than being Liz's dad and banter partner, tell us a little bit about yourself and what maybe started you on your deconstruction journey. Yeah, I... Um... How much time do we have? Because actually how it got started is I think I'm still trying to figure that out because it wasn't like a moment. I think it was really more a series of moments, but I had a conversion experience in high school. My parents raised my sister and I as like Lutherans, which was fine. And we went to confirmation classes and everything, but I had a conversion experience in high school and that really started the journey in earnest. And after about a year of being in that place, which was a nice church, but they pretty much just cranked out Christians. You know, that was sort of how they, that was their mission. So you never got really far into things. And I started having questions and things don't make sense and this and that. And it was really after college, you know, I went to a Christian college and uh, which was great. But afterwards, I really started having a lot more kinds of questions. So I think it was just sort of paying attention to, you know, I read the Bible like three times in a year before I started seminary and uh, I liked it, but you start noticing things, right? Or you start reading books on theology. And I just got sort of nerded into that thing because I just wanted to understand what I said I believed in. You know, for, for other people, it's not like that, but for me, it is. Like I just said, I believe in God and this and that, but I don't really know what I'm talking about. And I wanted to understand that. And so it was through studying that I think I really began what I didn't even realize was a process of constantly like turning the earth over, working over what you say you believe and seeing that some things aren't as helpful. And then maybe, well, maybe this is more helpful. And that's that process of you know deconstructing, but also reconstructing almost at the same time, because you're trying to make sense of things. And I think, you know, the, the big thing for me, you know, and Liz knows a lot about this too, is just my own life experiences that it, it wasn't like an intentional, I'm going to study the Bible, just stuff happens in life that makes you realize that if this whole gospel stuff and if God is real, if all that stuff is real, my life doesn't make any sense in relation to that. And whether it's kids or marriage or job or or whatever, you know, so I think it's just a matter of living and having things happen that I could not explain in any way, shape or form, according to the ways I had been thinking. And, you know, there are 500 stories to tell there, but that's, that's sort of the way it happened. But I think the one thing I'd want to stress for me, at least, is that this whole deconstruction process was not something that I decided one day to do. It just happened because I I had life experiences that I could not account for them based on the system of faith that I had. Mm -hmm. And that's unnerving. 
that's not cool or sexy. That's actually very unnerving when the way you think life makes sense stops making sense. And when you're feeling that you're in a process of deconstruction, whether you don't want to call it that or call it something else, but that's a deconstructive moment. And I think a lot of my life's been trying to be honest about those, but then also looking for those reconstructive moments. How do I put the pieces together better than I had been doing? Right. It's so interesting how you're saying that because for me, it's similar, you know, similar stuff Mm -hmm. where when the formulas stop working, you have to question what you're doing and why you're doing it. And that is just the process. I didn't know it was called deconstruction and it was inch by inch and by inch for me. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, other people are doing this too. And that's kind of interesting. And it's not fun. No. (laughs) You know, that's just it. I mean, sometimes, you know, I see on social media, especially, I I don't mean to sort of talk down now with people, but sometimes I see things like, yeah, I'm I'm deconstructing my faith now. That's, (laughs) that's actually not a deconstruction. That's something else. A deconstruction, like you don't even want to talk about it. Right. Right. It's painful. It's vulnerable. Yeah. You're, you're, you're vulnerable. And it's scary, you know, for, for like, if, if you're going through a process and if it's not unnerving to you, I don't think it's really a deconstructive moment. It can be something else very legitimate, but deconstruction sort of means something. It's, it's a realization. In other words, de- deconstruction is not something that comes from the outside in. It's something inside of you that's telling you this isn't working. Right. And then you build from the inside out. That's the reconstructive thing. And People who know much more about this than I do, like philosophers, say that within deconstruction is already embedded a reconstructive energy, right. sort of. You know, so deconstruction is not a negative thing. You're not just tearing things apart. Things are coming apart. And it's realizing that and sort of living with that. And then that should impel us, hopefully, to, okay, well, what's a better way? Right. You either pretend that it's not happening or you embrace it and move forward with it. And I think that that's really scary for a lot of people, Mm -hmm. but it really comes down to choosing to embrace it. And, you know, like we've talked before, you know, Esther and I have, and you and I have dad on multiple occasions about like how tightly people, Christians, especially try to kind of hold on to this idea of like controlling the narrative Mm -hmm. and deconstruction is the exact opposite of that. You realize like, wow, like we're all like, it's just, we don't know a thing. And that's just, that's incredibly scary. So who wants to, who wants to dive into that? Right. It it can take a little while to, to get there. It's, you know, controlling the narrative is funny because it's, it's like the spirit of God saying, oh, that's adorable. (laughs) Let's <laughs> just, you know, I'm not even going to do anything. I'm just going to let you keep thinking that. And then eventually something's going to unravel, you know, and, right. and that's, that's it. And that's why all of our systems of faith have fundamental flaws that will expose some sort of a deconstructive energy. But that doesn't mean our systems of thought are wrong or bad, or we should just erase everything and start over. No, just keep going. But if we hold on to those narratives, Liz, like you're, you're saying, if we hold on to them sort of gently and say, this narrative has made a lot of sense to me, but then be honest and saying, it's not making sense about X, Y, and Z, you just realize that God is not as invested in the narrative as we are. Right. Our Western American <laughs> evangelical fundamentalist narrative. And oftentimes, you know, very white and affluent and all that right. kind of stuff. Uh-huh. And Yeah. If you keep your eyes open to the world around you, Mm -hmm. meaning people and also just the physical world around us, you can't help but have deconstructive moments. Right. And when people say deconstruction is wrong, it's bad, and this is trendy, it's fatty, it's like you have no idea. You just, there's, how can you not question things that you say you believe in? How does that happen? I mean, I talk to moms every day who are actually going through like mental health crises because they're deconstructing and they don't know what to do with that information. Mm -hmm. Like how, how is that trendy? I mean, they're scared. They don't know what's happening. They feel like their entire selves and their entire life is unraveling before their eyes. Like that's not trendy or sexy. That's, I mean, beyond brave to walk through that or choose to walk through that, but it also is something that you can't really stop from happening once you you see it you can't unsee it it. right right but i mean i know people who have tried to unsee it 
And I mean, not to draw too general a conclusion, but sometimes they can be very, yeah. <laughs> okay, this is present company excluded in what I'm, what I'm about <laughs> to say, but um, they can become very bitter people too, because they're always at war with themselves. And that always spills out to other people. Yeah. You know, if, if God is real, God can handle it. Mm. And God understands that we're people simply doing our best. And the deconstruction is like a desert experience. And desert experiences are feelings, are moments of God's absence, but also in a deeper way, God's presence mm -hmm. to sort of press reset in a way. Mm -hmm. So we don't, I mean, in other words, deconstruction is actually a gift mm -hmm. because it keeps us from making our own ways of thinking. Uh, it keeps us from thinking that they're all there is, and I just have to hold on to that and then I'll be fine. Right. Yeah, I was thinking about the nerdy word of repent, which just means think a new thought. And Jesus was the ultimate deconstructionist. When he came, he was upending the systems that everybody was yeah. involved in, purporting. So when he says repent, think a new thought, I'm all about it now. Right. And what sent me down the road to deconstruction was like the harm it was bringing to my kids, seeing anxiety and guilt and shame. And I began to realize uh, this is like not working. And so being my introspective self, I backed up and I asked myself, like, why? What's going on here? And then I had to back up even further and ask where it's coming from. And when I realized it was coming from in me, I had to dig a little deeper. Like, why is it coming from in me? And this is when I sort of realized it might be coming from what I actually believe about God and like my entire faith system. Right. So Pete, <laughs> this podcast is supposed to be about you. And I know you have a book called The Sin of Certainty. It's an amazing book. It really is amazing. I love it. I'm just kidding. It is an amazing book. I will tout it so you don't have to. <laughs> Anyhow, you talk in it about the possible destruction that can come about when our main goal is like correct beliefs. And you even give the reader glimpses into how that may have played out for you in your own life. And from what we've chatted about, we have similar journeys when it comes to our parenting. So how would you say your sin of certainty worked its way out in your family as you were raising your kids? Yeah, I mean, that's a big question. I think Liz could answer it better than I can. Um, but from my point of view, see, internally, since before I was married, I've always had this internal struggle with what I believe. Mm -hmm. I just don't think people saw it, right? And so soon I were raising the kids and I, I really have to speak for myself here. I can't speak for Sue, but I sort of had default ways of thinking about church life and what we do in church and why we go to church and all relatively unreflective. You know, I wasn't really thinking about it. And when the kids were young and going through Sunday school in various churches, I wasn't self-aware enough to think about how these things might cause them to also have to rethink a lot of things pretty deeply when they get older, just like I have. And what can we do to avoid that? The thing is that, you know, you're in a church, which is a social structure. It's got rules, rules of how to engage and what to say and what not to say. And I was just sort of a part of that in part because of, you know, I was teaching in a seminary at the time and it's like, you know, just, just don't shake up the system too much. Right. So, and that makes you want to like, not engage it. Right. So we just we're pretty much on autopilot, I think. Uh, you know, I was uh, talking with one of my other children uh, maybe about a year ago who said, like, what do you actually think about the flood story? Because she was teaching in sort of like a Christian kind of context. And, and I told her what I thought about it. And it was not what she had heard. And she said to me, you have to realize how traumatic that was for me to hear that when I was like seven, <laughs> you know, and, and how that sort of has hung on. Right. So, yeah. So in retrospect, I have all sorts of opinions on what I should have done and what happened, but when I'm in the middle of it, it didn't happen. It took my own real crisis moments to take a step back and sort of see the bigger picture. And that was really hard to do when you're caught in the middle of it. Esther, I, kn I know that you, you, know, you have a similar experience, right? With you're a part of something and it's really hard to break those social boundaries. You know, it's really hard. And that's the thing, you know, we, I think we see God in those communities. We see God in other people, but that's a very powerful thing. They can also get twisted, mm -hmm. right? Um, and that's, I think, happens to a lot of people. So 
Well, and it's intriguing to me because this idea of parenting like you know what you're doing is not necessarily always the most helpful. Like years and years after, I mean, I moved out of my parents' home. I probably had already graduated college. I got a hold of one of my dad's journals. I think you had given it to me. I don't think I stole it, but who knows, right? No, I give it to you, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. And, you know, I'm reading through this. This is like 1984, yeah. so what, you just graduated college. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking like, oh, this is what I'm thinking now. Like, these are questions I'm having now. So it's like before my dad, like, even had children, before he was on this journey of parenting, he was already beginning this journey of deconstruction. But as a child, I wasn't experiencing that from him. I didn't realize that he was on this kind of journey of figuring it out. I always felt like he had the answers, which I think is just, it's intriguing to me now as a mom, you know, how important it is for me to like not, not know do what that. I'm talking about. Right, yeah. Right, well, yeah. just not know what I'm talking about. Like, you know, yeah. my four-year-old asked me yesterday, well, how did I be here? Like she, she said it in such a weird way, but she's like, how did I like be here? Yeah. And I said, well, I really don't know. <laughs> God got you here somehow. I'm trying to figure it out, you know? But I think having those moments of like, meh. Like, I don't know, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm figuring it out are so important, but it was a cool moment for me many years later to read back and be like, wow, like I, there was this connection with my dad, Mm -hmm. with my dad of the past, you know, this Mm -hmm. young man who really is so much like me, but was sort of trapped in this narrative what, I don't know what that was about for you, dad. Well, I I think part of it though, I mean, I agree with that. Part of it is when you're doing this professionally. Right. right. And you're in a system, you know, whether it's working in a church or working in a in a faith-based institution. And, you know, I, I went back to teach at the seminary that I went to when I when I was a student at the seminary, actually expanded my thinking in so many ways, but there were very clear boundaries you don't cross. You know, you just don't do that. And there are a few things that change your thinking more than just having children because you're crossing boundaries all the time, right? So I think I've become very conscious of the fact that the person I was in my teens and early 20s, up until about 25, the person I was there was basically buried under a lot of stuff. And wouldn't you, wouldn't you know it, right when I'm raising kids, right? So I was buried under a lot of stuff for about two decades or so. But you see, then after seminary, then I went you know, to graduate school, which was not faith-based at all. It was like the most freeing thing because I could think about everything and anything. And I'm trying to then synthesize what I'm learning there with this faith tradition that I'm pretty much a part of that I wind up going back to teach. So I'm having all this cognitive dissonance, but I'm still keeping it together. And I was playing that game without even knowing I was playing it for about the next 15, 20 years. And it took other things to sort of rattle me and shake me to revisit who that person was back in their 20s. And to me, that's a gift. It's wonderful. You know, it'd be nice if that never happened. And I sometimes think to myself, what if I had just been a really curious person who read a lot, who maybe went to seminary, but didn't teach, wound up working, you know, a landscaper or something, but I just love to read and think about these things, how that would have affected my own thinking and how I would parent that. Right. Right. And and we'll never know. Right. But I just wonder. Right. There wasn't that extra pressure of. Well, your livelihood, right? My entire life and my livelihood. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Livelihoods definitely play a part here. I think that traps so many people. And then the second thing I would think is that just fear sense to belong. Mm -hmm. You know, it just, Mm -hmm. you want to belong so much. And then you know that if you step outside, you're going to get slammed because you've watched it happen to everybody else that ever asked a question in the past. So even in like parenting circles around like mommy's play groups or, you know, father son retreats or whatever, and everybody else seems to be like, on board. And then you have these questions. Right. And one thing I would say, which I'm kind of excited about, I, well, I kind of want to give Pete in my generation a little bit of a break. There's a lot bigger of a support system now around this, which is so helpful. We were yeah. lone ducks. Like we would have been the people that would have been 
really far reaching and out of the norm. And there wasn't really a place for us. I'm so happy that there are things like this now and books out there. None of these things were written. It was like fall in line or you're a pagan. (laughs) There was no like middle ground where we could hold on to our really faith. Jesus, whatever we really grounded us where we felt like was calling us to life. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also ask some serious questions about the patriarchy or, you know, um, racial reconciliation, all those kinds of things, discipline issues, how to parent, whatever. So yeah, right. I'm grateful. I mean, this is, and it's still lonely as Liz and I know from what we're hearing from people, it's still so mm-hmm. lonely and it keeps people trapped in systems they don't want to actually be in. Mm-hmm. Like even in our little Facebook page that we have, somebody wrote yesterday, I just wrote a thing that said Sundays are the hardest day of the week. A lot of times while you're deconstructing, because you're so used to having community. And a woman wrote back and said, I feel so lonely and disenfranchised. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't, she hasn't replaced anything yet with, you know, any kind of community. She doesn't know even where to go. So that's why we're kind of doing this. We want to hopefully provide places for people to at least come listen and then maybe go search that out for other people that are like them. But it takes right. kind of coming out of the closet. Right. Which is- well, it's making this whole situation normal and not abnormal because right. it is very, very normal. And and um, that's when, you know, a common thing I'm sure you've heard, I hear it all the time. I thought I was the only one. Right. Oh, oh, no. <laughs> Oh, no, 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 no. It goes way back. It goes back to the Bible, actually, you know, and probably <laughs> before that. So, yeah, it's it's a very normal thing. Okay. how I mean, how did it even happen that we made this process of growing in faith, really, which is what this is, and with growing comes some tearing down. But whoever made this a problem, right? Whoever made this something that you should never, ever do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what happens a lot of times, and again, I've reflected on this. I remember my, one of my uh, graduate school professors talked about this too. He said, you know, I've, I've met many brilliant people who are brilliant in mathematics and psychology and medicine and art, but when it comes to religion, they're seven years old. Right. They've never moved beyond that because they were taught, don't move, right? And being a you know, professor of college kids at a you know, Christian college, I see it all the time, and thankfully they talk about it, but how they ask, you know, why did we never hear any of this stuff that we're talking about in church? And I tell them honestly, I say, because, you know, they're good people and they meant well, but their job is to keep you within and not to give you a sense of curiosity and looking at things from different angles, right? So that's, we've created that. And I often wonder why have we created that? And part of it, I think, is just you know, like historically where we are at this time and place, so much has happened in the past 200 years to challenge traditional views that the way to address that is to keep away from them, is to basically shelter and create a bubble. Mm. And people who go out there and say, no, this is God's world. I can't possibly do that and breathe. They're either liberal or they're backsliding or weak uh, tickling, itching ears. They go wherever the trends go. No, no, no. You're this. I'm. I'm not enjoying this at all. By the way, you know, this is not. Nobody's tickling anything. I'm just. I just. I wish this weren't happening. I take me back to the carefree days where I knew everything. Right. right? Yeah. Th- those are wonderful sure. things. But if God is real, then that's wrong. That can't be true. Well, and I think it's something I learned on your podcast, The Bible for Normal People, which really held me is that when you look at the fruit of what's playing out and then go backwards, and I alluded to that before, if the fruit is destruction and harm, then why? Mm -hmm. If the fruit is fear, guilt, shame, people pleasing, all that awful stuff. Mm -hmm. And on a personal note, and I already kind of touched on this, I saw it in my two older children. So I had to back up and ask why? How did this happen? Right. And I have four kids, and the younger two grew up with almost a completely different mom who is beginning to unravel like all those whys. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, to go back to that phrase, the two older kids were raised under a very rigid sin of certainty system, and the two younger were raised under the mantras of like curiosity and wonder. And I've seen the fruit of that system, which seems to be much more like freedom and peace. So when you said on your podcast, start with the fruit and work backwards, it changed like everything for me. Mm-hmm. If it's destruction, you got to ask yourself a question. But if it's whole and healing and good, you, you can ask yourself a completely different question. Right. So like that brings me to you, Liz. 
I feel a little bit maybe like from what we've talked about that you were raised under a system like my two older kids and then you had the experience of watching everything change. What kind of fruit, quote unquote, did you see growing up? And like, how about now? What's it like now? Yeah, well, I mean, I always felt like the destruction, I guess, if if we're calling it that, was happening for me more at church and less at home. Mm-hmm. I think like you go to Sunday school, you get taught these stories. They don't make any sense because they're contradictory. It's you're like, what do I do with this information? So I think what I was really needing was more honesty for my parents that they just like didn't really know either or that they were also on this journey of like, this makes no sense. And I felt like, you know, I didn't know that I needed that at the time, but I think looking back, I'm like, oh, I needed, I needed like honest deconstruction, I guess, which is sort of what I'm trying to do with my own children is, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I'm not like mommy's deconstructing, but just sort of like... (laughs) Just sort of deconstructing in front of them. You know, like, I don't have the answer to this, but yeah, that's like really weird. Mommy had the rug pulled out from under her today, Lila. (laughs) Mommy has no stability whatsoever. Mommy is, yeah. (laughs) So, you know, and in that, in that kind of way, you know, like we've at this point, like removed ourselves from our church and I'm not reading the Bible to my children and doing devotions with them like that was a thing from my childhood we talk about god we talk about jesus my kids are obsessed with like the idea of like baby jesus because he's a baby but you know i've really just kind of taken this step back from forcing god and forcing theology and forcing all these things on them and just trying to naturally bring that into their life, you know? I mean, there's going to be time for Bible reading and, you know, there's going to be so much time for all of that. And I don't think that like my four-year-old needs to be like a scholar, nor is she. So her reading any of these Bible stories will could only cause more confusion. And she's already confused enough because the world is already confusing. So that's what kind of where I've leaned. But the really cool thing I think about my dad and my faith journeys is that they did, at least in my eyes, happen around the same time. I think even though, dad, you were questioning things beforehand, I didn't really start to see that until I was having my own questions. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of all came to light at the same time and gave me a sense of security in my own questioning. Because mm-hmm. I, I do also hear from like a lot of other like friends of mine and, and even just people on the internet who are, who are saying like, yeah, like my parents don't get it. Like my family doesn't get it. And like here I'm like deconstructing with my dad, reconstructing and building and learning. And that's been like a major, major gift for me is to be able to do that with him. Right. It is interesting when you think like there are advantages to doing it perfectly from the start, (laughs) whatever that even means, which doesn't, isn't true. Um, And then also then watching sort of a redemption story play out, right? There's, there's beautiful gifts in both of those things. Like you don't want to necessarily do that with your children, Liz, you know, from the start, but maybe for Pete, for me, it's okay that our kids are watching us be redeemed and come into a place of wonder and curiosity Mm -hmm. because then they then get permission to walk that path too, to wonder and curiosity. Right. And and again, it brings a normalcy to that where it's not like only weird people are curious. Right. (laughs) And so, I mean, I probably some people would disagree with me on this, you know, which is fine, but I think it's, I think it's fine to read Bible stories to children but without the pressure of those stories, like you have to take all of them literally or something. I mean, I'm, I, I don't know why it took so long for this to dawn on me, but the ancient Israelites didn't think snakes could talk. That's a clear genre signal that this is a story. It's got theological importance, but it's not like what ancient people, we think animals talk. And if God wants a snake to talk, a snake can talk. Or two sort of magic trees in the middle of the garden. You know, when I was... Uh, Liz, when Eric, I don't mind mentioning his name because he doesn't listen to the podcast anyway, but Eric, oh. when he was, he's my oldest son who's wonderful. Um, he will listen to this podcast. Now he's going to listen to this one probably. Yeah, he'll so. listen to this one. He'll listen to this one, not mine. Um, he's too busy actually. But when he was six, you know, we had just moved Liz from Boston and we didn't have the bedtime reading the Bible routine. And so I figured we got to start this. So for whatever reason, I don't know how 
why I thought of this. I read the Adam and Eve story to him. And we got to the point where Eve is talking to a snake. And Eric, just as I'm reading, Eric just goes, ah. so I ignored him as a good parent. And I just kept going. And he goes, ah. I said, Eric, what's wrong? He goes, daddy, snakes don't talk. And I was like horrified at that, really. Like, Shh, he may hear you. Don't talk like that. Right. So, but it was like, that was a, that would have been a really good moment. I didn't actually push it with him because he was having a little faith crisis and a, a six-year-old faith crisis saying this story is a bunch of crap because animals don't talk. We all know that. And this is in the Bible, which I'm told is blah, blah, blah. So that would have been like a nice time really to say, yeah, that's, I don't think they do either, but this is a story. And I think kids understand stories if you give them the chance to, right? So, you know, reading if you if we read these stories without the backdrop of the Bible has to be literally factually true everywhere it speaks. If you just recognize there are different kinds of literature and blah, blah, blah. It's reading the Bible with kids is different. Like read the Adam and Eve story. Or I don't know, maybe not, because do you really want, you know, you screw up once you're thrown out of the garden. Do you really want to tell that story to kids? Right. That's the well, other I think, thing. Yeah. I think it honestly, too, I mean, it's like to each his own, right? Like that's a choice that I've made because I'm still trying to figure out mm -hmm. what the Bible means to me. And so right. I just don't, I just, I can't go there right now with my kids. Mm -hmm. And that's my own personal journey. I also have a highly, my oldest is like a highly sensitive kid. And so like the Adam and Eve story could be really damaging for her. Whereas mm -hmm. to my, for my other kid, like he could just be like, oh, snakes don't talk or mommy, read me the book about like the animals and the boat and the water and you know, whatever. <laughs> like, so right. I don't think that there's any real perfect way to do this. And I'm not saying like throw out your Bibles, like burn them in the backyard right. at all, because I just, I think there's so much beauty in the Bible. Mm -hmm. Um, but we all have our own journeys and our own ways of coping. And I'm still very much in the middle of my journey and still turning the pages of my own Bible, yeah. kind of like, like what's going to kind of jump out at me today. And so I'm not there yet in my own self. And so I'm not ready to bring that to my kids. Mm -hmm. But I, I just, yeah, I think so much of it is like, where's the manual, which I guess is kind of what gets us here in the first place. But you, you know, exactly. you kind of, you're just sort of like, you know, there is, there is no manual, you know, the like, Bible's the manual is the Bible's the manual, the inerrant word of God. And the only one, the only, yeah. a perfect life. That's just, see, I think a lot of this stuff, and again, this is sort of my hobby horse and my career, but this all begins with the Bible. That's why thinking through what the Bible is, what it means to read it well, because that's what we keep coming back to when it comes to these journeys of deconstruction. It's not just mean things that my pastor said. It's the fact that you find some of those mean things in the Bible itself. Yeah. Right. And I don't, you know, mean is, is the, not the right word, but things that God does things of questionable morality. <laughs> yeah. Like scary. Really. Yeah, I think right. you can say. Yeah. yeah. Was it on your podcast or was it actually one of my children? Sometimes I have my memory is bad where someone asked, a little kid asked, is God the good guy or the bad guy in the story? Oh, I don't remember. Yeah, that's I love one. that. And that that would be a question. Mm -hmm. And because, you know, just the normal morality they're hearing mm -hmm. and then they're reading a Bible story like God kicked them out of the garden or whatever, or mm -hmm. the David and Goliath story. There's so many. And there yeah. are so many stories where God could look like the bad guy. Right. And I love that question for my kid. Like, and I think I would answer it very differently. And I would say to them, well, what do you think? Right. I know that God is love and God is good. Does that sound like it would be loving and good to you to do that to somebody? Mm -hmm. And they would say no. And I would say, well, then the person who's writing this is kind of making God to be the bad guy in the story <laughs> instead of the good guy. And I love yeah. that, that, that in and of itself would cause hopefully some parents, especially me go, huh, yeah. that's interesting. Yeah. Is he the good guy or the bad guy? Right. <laughs> and we've made him in the bad guy in a lot of stories. Yeah. Well, and the, the problem is compounded by the notion that the way God is portrayed sometimes, especially in the Hebrew Bible and, and what, you know, what Christians call the Old Testament, um, that's really, that's a part of ancient Iron Age cultures where gods are warriors and things like that. Yeah, right. So for them, it's not mean. Right. There are actually things in the Bible that deconstruct some of that meanness already within that culture, right? right? But the thing is that it takes an awful lot of intellectual sophistication to walk through that and a four-year-old's not going to do it, right? <laughs> so 
So I think you really have to be, if you're going to read the Bible, you have to be very, very selective in the stories that you read. And I've been an advocate for, you know, not with my own kids because it was too late, but of really trying to tell Jesus stories, you mm-hmm. know, or maybe mm-hmm. the stories that Jesus told, mm-hmm. you know, acts of kindness, letting them understand maybe, you know, the parable of the Good Samaritan or, you know, the lost son or the lost coin or things like mm-hmm. that. Right. that. That really set a certain vision for what God is like. Mm-hmm. And when they get older, they can grapple with the flood story I think, frankly, when they're in high school. Yes. Not when they're 10 or 12 or even 13, but I think when they're in high school, so that they'll have much less to deconstruct from than having a literalistic understanding of the Bible, sort of as that's Christianity 101. That's where we start. If we don't have that, everything falls apart. Right, right. That's that's a real problematic way to set up the faith, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well... I have two more questions. And one is, so obviously you have grandchildren. (laughs) Liz has talked about Mm -hmm. them right today. And so how would you, if if Lila or Bo comes to you and ask you to read a Bible story with her, like, what would you do differently say? And I I know we're alluding to this as well. Which they wouldn't because we don't have any children's Bibles in our house. (laughs) (laughs) My favorite, my favorite, Liz, was when you were just crossing things out of your children's Bibles. Uh, We'll have to put a picture. Uh, I did go through a period where I was just trying to like write it differently, like with less shame. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like with less shame. And then I just decided like, okay, this is just, I can't, I can't do this right now mm-hmm. so my favorite was uh, we had a children's bible where like um jacob had w- one wife yeah like and then 12 sons <laughs> mm-hmm. right no he didn't he had two wives two concubines a bunch of other people four 12 sons with different people and a daughter who was raped by you know whatever it just like goes on yeah. and on and on right. but right. i do just uh I, I i laugh at liz I'm, i'll have to put a picture of that in our facebook facebook page yeah. of oh liz's crossing out the bible because that was my favorite thing i ever saw in my life but yeah. but pete like how are you dealing with this differently with your grandchildren when you're with them i mean you're a bible nerd bible scholar bible professor bible for normal people podcast person you love the bible so you started to allude to it what would you do differently with your what are you doing differently with your grandchildren um i mean i'm not sure what i'm doing with them right because uh you know i see them once a month maybe and you know liz is there all the time and i would never presume anything like to step on their toes but just step on liz's toes or eric's toes Mm -hmm. but i think i'm really committed to the notion that the bible is an adult book it's not for children Mm -hmm. And I know I get a lot of pushback from, you know, again, good people, well-intentioned people who say no, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I'm horrified when I hear parents, yeah, we're reading through Deuteronomy with our eight-year-old. I said, okay, let me know when you get to the blessings and curses at the end when it's there's cannibalism and, you know, families are torn away from the father and things like that. That's your punishment for disobeying God. And it takes a lot of adult not just an adult mind, but a learned adult mind to understand how Deuteronomy functions in the Pentateuch and when it was written and why it looks the way that it does. Why would they ever talk like this? Well, there are reasons that have to do with the ancient world, why those things actually make a lot of sense, but we're not living in the ancient world. So we have to think about how do we think about God differently? And thankfully, Jesus is there. So I think with Bo and with Lila, I'm not I'm not terribly concerned to read Bible stories with them. I think I'm trying to model just me being a good person to be with, mm-hmm. right? And maybe one day Lila will ask me questions like, "How do I be? How yeah, how, you know? <laughs> yeah. how do I be? How do I just or things like that?" Then I can talk with them about it. But I, I'm not all that concerned really to catechize them in the Bible at a, at a young age, because I just, I don't think that's what the Bible is for. I think it's, mm-hmm. it's something that requires a tremendous amount of adult level reflection. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem. You see, I think this is more of a Protestant problem than anything, because Protestants have believed sola scriptura, the Bible and the Bible alone is our only faithful guide for faith and for life. Well, that wasn't said with kids in mind, mm-hmm. right? So we now have the, this Protestant deconstruction, which is its own thing. We are 
grappling with the fact that the Bible is our sole standard of, of faith and conduct, but it's not a children's book, but now we have to get it, our children to understand it. And so we have the whole phenomenon of children's Bibles, mm-hmm. which massage things and change things because the Bible is all important. Mm-hmm. And I think rather than that, I would want them, children, Lila and Bo, to experience a peaceful and calming presence. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and that's, that, that's, you know, that's not good enough if you're worried about hell, because you got to make sure they say right. the magic words. But right. if, if that's off the table, which it <laughs> yeah. is for me, it is yeah. off the table. Yeah. I just don't think that God is that retributive. Like, you better believe the right things are like, oh, gosh, you know, you, you don't want to go there. Let's not talk about that. So make sure you sort of line up very quickly. And parents are afraid. They want to line their mm-hmm. kids up very, very quickly. Right, Esther, I know that you can, you can uh, relate to that. <laughs> And I think in, in an indirect sense, that was probably going on with me too. Yeah. Right. So I would not want to reproduce that. Right. At least negatively, I don't want to do this, that, or the other thing. And I have to believe that God understands that. Right. Yeah. I think that's a really good point, this idea of like when hell is off the table. Because for me, hell's off the table. Yeah. I am not afraid for my children's eternal damnation. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I'm not. And so I think that does change the way that you approach things, you know, and because I was able to start really deconstructing like openly, I think before I even had kids, Mm -hmm. you know, I came into parenting knowing this is something that I don't believe. And so when I'm approaching my kids, I'm not trying to save them from anything. I'm not trying to you know, make sure they get it so that I can be with them forever. It doesn't have that same sort of like feeling to me. Mm -hmm. It's more of a sort of like exploratory kind of feeling. And, you know, Eric and I, my husband focus a lot on how can we just be Jesus to our kids? Because even this Mm -hmm. idea of God is confusing. Like I try to, a couple of times I've tried to like approach the idea of God to Lila and she's just like, (laughs) (laughs) like, you know, her facial expression. I mean, for those of you who are listening, her facial expression is just like, what the like this yeah. being that's just everywhere and like you know she's like well is he there when I'm is he standing over me when I'm so it's, it's like kind of like even the idea of God is sort of creepy right um you know this idea of Jesus this like tangible person who lived and who taught us how to love well that I think that's worked better for us as we're sort of ushering our children into this idea that there is this right. this good and loving being yeah Mm-hmm. who surrounds us. And so that's kind of more the position that we're taking on it. But like my dad said, you know, just being Jesus to another person, like including a kiddo who just needs right. grace and love and someone who's very sensitive and mm-hmm. like emotionally intelligent. And that even goes back to like our own self-care as parents and as adults. And like, right. do we know ourselves well enough to then be able to be fully there for our children. And I think it all ties together, but that's maybe another podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I could go on and on and on about, about that. You know, I could go on and on and on about that self-care and and how that connects us to God. But I think just being Jesus to our children, right. how, why is that not mm-hmm. enough? And focusing on Jesus stories, you know, because those are, because mm-hmm. you have to fill the Jesus with some content. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I would maybe suggest to people who are listening, and again, I didn't do this, mm-hmm. but now I know, right? What are the stories in the Gospels or elsewhere around which you have a lot of positive energy? Mm. Talk about those stories with the kids. Yeah. They don't have to know the whole history of the book of Acts or something. It just, it doesn't matter, but... Memorize the catechism. <laughs> yeah. G- Jesus shows us what God is like. Exactly. That is a Christian confession. That's Mm -hmm. a basic Christian confession. If you're going to go about teaching your kids about God saying, Jesus is the reflection of what God is like. Anyone who faults you doesn't understand (laughs) what has made Christians moved for the past 2000 years. It's not an inerrant Bible. It's how Jesus reveals to us what God is like in various ways they put it in people are sometimes more right or more wrong, but it doesn't matter. You're doing your best and that's not a bad place to start. So if, I mean, if it were me, I would love to look at the the good Samaritan or the lost son, or maybe one or two other parables as a stories that Jesus told and what we can learn about loving everybody or God cares for all of us. Right. 
And God wants to be with all of us. And that doesn't mean life is easy. Life is hard. This guy was beaten and naked on the side of a road, right? But still, there's plenty of stuff in the Bible to go with. And you don't have to start with, you know, a vacation Bible school centered on the book of Joshua, <laughs> which is great for the boys. You know, great with, for the boys. <laughs> you get a sword and you get to sort of hack people to bits. But there is a historical and literary context for the book of Joshua. But both historical in terms of the history, but also historical in terms of who's writing this and why are they writing it the way they're writing it. Right. Right. That is an adult conversation. So you know what? Avoid those stories. You can't pick and choose like heck you can't. You better pick and choose the stories very carefully with kids. There's nothing wrong with that. People do it all the time. Bible Children's Bible story books do that all the time. They they pick and choose. There's nothing wrong with picking and choosing because this is not a children's book. Right. My big takeaways from you, Pete, and you could say any other takeaways you want. And Liz even said this is if Jesus is what God is like, then we want to be Jesus is what Liz said. And when you said it, Pete, I loved what you said about your grandchildren is I just want to be a safe place like of goodness and love for them. Mm-hmm. And that's being Jesus to them. That's being God to them. And that kind of wraps it all up. It's like, I don't need them to understand all of these very complicated issues. They need like what the Maslow's hierarchy needs. They need the bottom one. They need to be right. loved. Yeah. They need safety. Those are kind of the two, you know, two biggest ones. And then we kind of move up from there appropriately. Mm-hmm. You know, what is it? Food, safety, and love, I think. Are right. The- no, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, the, the thing is that, you know, people have said, like neuro- neurological kinds of people have said, we're not thinking be- beings with emotions. We're emotional beings who think. And I think the mistake that we make, you know, in this world that we're discussing is that we think of people as fundamentally thinking beings, including children. You teach them the right lessons, you get them to, quote, understand something, and then they'll be fine. No, they have to have a whole emotional underlayment to that where the world is not unnecessarily scary, you know, and certainly the big figure up there isn't out to get them, right? Exactly. But again, that's, that's, in a sense, it's sort of easy. (laughs) it is make it easier takes the pressure off like you don't have to like oh no we haven't read leviticus lately (laughs) what do i do now and well you don't need to that can come at another time if they're interested and if not then they're not but um yeah i love that and i love to end with that like if we could say anything about this very uh, nerdy and fun podcast which is take the pressure off Yeah, especially with little ones. And then as it's appropriate, the pressure can stay off. I know for me, it was when my kids were teenagers that I let go of the health thing. And it was like a weight was just lifted from me. I was like, what? I don't have to have this agenda anymore. I don't have to worry. I don't have fear. And now I can just love. And and so like moving from agendas to love, just it was hugely freeing. So no matter if your kids are little, medium, big, grownups, now look at you and me, Pete, we can love our kids who are mostly grown and yours are all grown. Mine are mostly grown with no agenda. Yeah. And if, if that's the root of it is love, then how could you really go wrong? Right. Or at least we can not like our kids for the right reason. Right. We can not like, you know what I mean? That's what I look at it. So, yeah. <laughs> I know Liz is so unlikable. <laughs> it's rough. I really rough. don't like, her I like to think of myself as some sort of an anomaly. <laughs> yeah, right. you're 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 the best anomaly that that I've met in a long time. <laughs> Me too. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This is so huge. I love the message of pressure off everybody. Pressure off. <sighs> Thanks, that makes sister. me give a little bit of sigh to my mm-hmm. own soul and Liz to your people and all the moms out there who are and and dads mm-hmm. whoever's listening to this. Mm-hmm. I guess it'll probably be mostly moms, but hopefully some dads. Yeah. We'll also I hope to. Yeah. We have a dad yeah. on, so that's good news. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. 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 Well, last thing is uh, Pete has got a lot of really good stuff and I want him to share where you can find him because he was major when I started to ask questions. This man was really a big deal for me uh, personally to help me along my deconstruction journey. And I'm, I'm going to get tears because I can't believe that he... He and his work came into my personal life to help me. And then the way that that's brought freedom into my life, my marriage, my parenting, my kids. So Pete, uh, before I cry and shed a tear about you. <laughs> you see, that's why, that's where you're going to hell though, because you listen to me and you know, that's. <laughs> I am, I'm headed there in a handbasket. Thanks. In a handbasket quickly and efficiently. Yeah. So anyway. <laughs> quickly. Yeah. So Pete, tell us where you, we can find you. 
Okay. Well, I mean, I have a personal Facebook page and also the Bible for normal people has a Facebook page. So those are two places to go. I don't remember handles. Just you figure it out. You're, you're, you're savvy. Yeah, I was going to say, do you know your own handles? <laughs> Right, the Bible for normal people. Um, dot com. Right, and that's everything. You can access most things there. Not so much the Facebook page. Don't you but have a website too? Just pedens.com? It's the same thing. Yeah, oh, it, you, you can okay. get you can get to it both ways. So right, if you forget right. so, Bible for normal people, just go pedens.com and it'll bring. Yeah, you not right Peter, but pedens.com. <laughs> right, so it's there. So um, and uh, yeah, I've loved I've loved listening to your podcast, and I've loved being involved in your book groups and. So yeah, yeah. So that's awesome. That's Thank funny. you so Thanks, much, Esther. Pete, yeah. for coming on. Thanks, yep. Liz. Thanks, Ed. Appreciate you coming on. I know you know podcasting is new to you, and you know, and, you, <laughs> and I'm you so busy to all speak day in front of people, and and I'm so busy because I'm on sabbatical and I have so many things to do right now. So anyway, yeah. Glad your assistant could put you in. Hey, he's writing a new book. I think I'm excited about this new book that's coming out. Yeah, I am. I'm going to get back to it. When I'm done here, I'll grab some lunch and I'll keep working on it. So yeah, but uh, that's great. You you want the elevator pitch for the it? elevator pitch? Yeah, love the elevator. Pitch. Good elevator pitch, and then we're out. It's called curveballs because life throws you curveballs, and my point is that those things that happen to us that challenge our faith are actually necessary things to have the faith grow. So you change your view of God based on your experiences. And that's not a bad thing, but that's a normal thing. So I talk about science a lot. I talk about, it's sort of memoirish. I talk about things that have affected me and how I've sort of thought differently about God as a result. So that's it. We'll have to have you on again, Dad, to talk just more in depth about um, your story and our story. There never seems to be like enough time ever. Um, We should do that. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, it's wonderful for other people to hear your thoughts on parenting in the Bible. All right. So thank you. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Well, that's it for this episode on the Deconstructing Mamas podcast. We love that you tuned in and hope this gave you a little bit of grace and space for your soul to breathe. Don't forget to catch up on any of our episodes that you missed. And remember to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at the Deconstructing Mamas. That's where you'll find all the information that you need about the podcast, as well as on both of our websites, estherjoygets.com and elizabethpetters.com, as well as our brand new website, deconstructingmamas.com. If you would like to support the podcast, please leave us a review where you listen and especially tell others about the show. Thanks for listening and come back again for our next episode. We can't wait to be on the other side of your headphones.